Welcome to Season 4 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the leaders' conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? Well, this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you don't never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled for this episode of the podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Mark Hurwitz and Dr. Rachel Thompson. Welcome, Mark and Rachel. Welcome. It's great to be here. I'm very excited. I've been listening to this podcast for quite a while now and uh, really happy to be on. Thanks for the invite, guys, and I'm looking forward to some good conversations with you guys today. Oh, wonderful. Well, good, because the topic of followership is something that we haven't yet uh, dug into, and y'all seem like the perfect people to have this conversation with. Uh, It's incredibly important to leadership educators, and as y'all mentioned in your writing, that you can't have one without the other. And so today, we'd love to discuss the process for your most recent uh, new directions for student leadership issue that was published in November 2020, and we want to talk about kind of all the goodness that's in there, as well as the process for working with some of the authors in the study. Uh, Before we get into that, though, we'd love to know a little bit about you. So if you could maybe take a moment and share kind of your leadership education experience and how you got to this point of editing this series. So my name is Rachel Thompson, as you introduced me a little bit earlier. Um, I'm from the UK, uh, based at Northumbria University, um, senior lecturer there, and I work within the leadership and business um, sort of subject area within the business school. Um, I also had like a a leadership-focused education when being at university myself um and so that's always been like sort of the area that I've personally come from and then when I started doing my PhD that's when I got an interest in the area of followership um, and since then it's kind of spiraled um through you know meeting someone like uh, Mark early on uh, by going along to the international leadership association conferences getting involved in a fantastic group of people there um, and ever since then, it's been like a, the key focus for my research and also um, more recently, you know, for my teaching and also for the publications such as the issue that we've been working on with most recently. And, and Rachel is is uh, not telling the whole story because <laughs> I, remember, I remember meeting her at the 2014 San Diego uh, ILA yeah. where they had the one day followership conference. And she was there in part because she won the best uh the best was a graduate uh like a, it was the student competition the yeah student for the competition best paper yeah yeah um, i forgot about that <laughs> yeah on followership and it was great yeah. so she gave a special lecture and we attended and uh, all the sort of luminaries in the followership yeah. field were there that was so, awesome. it was great for me the journey started earlier as a as a corporate uh, executive and my career had recently gone off the rails uh, but fortunately at the same time i had also done an MBA and learned all about leadership. And reflecting on what I was seeing around me, I realized, wait a second, my leadership was okay and my technical skills were okay, but something was going wrong at work in particular for me at that point in time. After thinking about it for a year, I reflected on the fact that, you know, perhaps I'm a bad follower and my followership skills were underdeveloped. And uh, when I thought about that more and took a look at it, I realized, well, here's something I'm really interested in and looking around at what else was going on in the organization, I saw a lot more of this happening. I became really intrigued shortly after I met my now life partner, Samantha, 
And she was actually also experiencing what we discovered were followership problems in her own role, which she was our first test subject. We worked on it for a while and literally turned her career around in the space of a few weeks just from working on followership. So that at that point in time, both her and I got really excited by the topic. Ultimately, I decided, okay, I'm gonna quit my corporate life, go back to school, learn more about this stuff and teach it and, and spread the message, if you will. And that's what I've been doing ever since, I guess, for the last 15 years now. It's been great. How amazing. I love that level of self-awareness that you, you know, you said like, kind of like, maybe it's me and I don't know how to follow other people, even though I'm in this like positional role where I should be able to, as leader, I should know how to do this. I, I love that. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. And Rachel, I love your humility. Oh yeah. I just happened to win this <laughs> graduate paper. Oh yeah. Like I well, love that. I love that humility. I think for me, I mean, Mark said there how fantastic it was um, coming to, to watch that. Um, presentation and lectures I did at the end of the day but for me at, you know particularly being at the start of my research journey and my doctoral studies for me it was more exciting to be there and amongst you know people like Mark who had read the papers and I'd been starting to cite their work and whatnot so um, I guess I didn't I didn't focus on the fact that I was there doing that it was more about the fact that I was there to see these other people and to network with these people which has just been such a great start for, for myself into the followership field. And if I can give a shout out to all of you young academics out there who are interested in studying leadership, leadership is a well-researched field. You're going into what I would call brownfield territory. It's hard to make an impact. You want to make an impact? Go into something not a lot of people are working on, which was, has a huge upside. Come power scholars, please. Yeah. If, if you're in co-curricular, like student affairs, and you want to bring something new onto the campus, don't look for another... Uh, Baskin Robbins flavor number 338 of leadership as though some incremental change is going to be the big difference maker in everything. That's fantastical thinking. Bring in something which is actually a big difference maker to make a big difference. And that's followership. Yeah, no, I, lo I love that for sure. And that's one of the things that I think was just so enamoring about the uh, of the field when I was first getting getting started as a as a doctoral student and, and just, you know, getting my feet wet, teaching that first leadership course, I want to say 2008, I think is when I taught my first undergraduate leadership course, and, and it was being introduced to both leadership and followership at the same time, but, you know, dealing with some of the, what is this followership, and, and, and how am I going to use it, and how will my students respond to it, and, and really other than Kellerman's levels of follower engagement, and some of the, some of those early models, it really wasn't something that um, I, I kind of returned to until getting involved in, in ILA, and, and so I want to share a story about, about Mark, that really was kind of this, um, I think, cathartic experience for me and how to introduce it to students. And so I was, I had to go back because I, I, I was invited by, by Mark and Rachel to contribute an article uh, with Angela Springer, who's over at Christopher Newport University um, over there and on followership education for post-secondary students. And one of the resources that we cited was this panel presentation that Mark and Samantha, and I guess it was Ira and Barbara. So they were, as 2016, and I'm somewhere in the audience in, in full room because you've got not only the star power of Mark um, and his wife, but also Ira Shalop and Barbara Carlman that some of you may have heard of. Um, <laughs> and so, so Mark says something to the effect of, all right, so if you are the top guru in your organization, everybody reports to you like you're in charge, stand up, you know, and there's a good hundred and something folks in the, in the room. And like 
three or four people stand up. You know, you've got a couple of presidents or provosts or what have you and our CEOs in the room. It's like, all right, so let's say you report to at least one other person. Can you go ahead and stand up? You know, of course, it's pretty much the rest of the room. He's like, so what's with all this leadership education, development and training? You know, and I just got a good laugh and it really helped me to use that as kind of this emotive, like, like introduction for students of leadership in my undergraduate and graduate classes that like, hey, this stuff matters. And what are some strategies that we might use to do this? And that was when I first, I think it would have been around that time when I actually dove into reading Courageous Follower and starting to get some of some of Barbara's books and reading some of the research that that Mark and others had written uh, because I saw how important this was to group and teamwork in particular, but this idea of standing up to and for our leaders that, that Charlotte really puts us in, in Courageous Follower. Um, and then the next year, because that would have been 2016 in the fall, so 2017, um, I continued my work with coaching students in the collegiate leadership competition. And I decided instead of using something like seven dysfunctions of a team or, or something like that, or is it six dysfunctions? How many dysfunctions is it? Is it seven? I feel like there ought to be more, but okay. It's five. Five is five. (laughs) Seven uh, seven habits of highly effective people. That's what I get. I'm getting Covey and and uh, and 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 all right. Help me out, Lauren. Who's who's five dysfunctions? Lencioni. Yes. Okay. All Patrick, right. All right. Patrick Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni. And, and it's funny right. you say that. I only know that because my one of the women who's teaching the other section of leading groups has built half their curriculum around, around five, five dysfunctions. dysfunctions. Okay. Well, maybe there are seven. Maybe there are two dysfunction, additional dysfunctions mm-hmm. for me not being able to remember the uh, the names of the authors. So, but but I but what we did is we started to use Courageous Follower as a key text for student teams trying to get better at leadership within and among each other, focusing on things like giving yeah. feedback to each other and being able to, to intervene. And I love the idea of like the languaging and just the, the plethora of different approaches that the followership literature really gives to students of leadership and followership to be able to be effective working with each other and not being afraid to stand up. And, and it just, it was one of the few books ever where students are like, I bought this for my boss. I bought this for my colleagues. I, I gifted this to my niece or nephew. You know, it's just, it, it's making a difference. And so I was so excited when I saw the email come out from, from y'all, you know, whether it's maybe two years ago at this point saying, Hey, we've been, you know, Kathy Guthrie and Susan Cumbest reached out to us. They want us to, they've commissioned us to do this new directions. And, uh, or maybe you can share how that story actually unfolded. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe y'all push, push them a little bit more. Cause I know that they are very open to, to ideas from folks, but, but was so excited to see that being introduced into the literature for uh, within new directions in that audience. So where, where did this idea come from? Like what process did you two use not only to solicit authors, but I know you kind of reached out. Was it more formal call for proposals? Was it more kind of networking and, and those types of things? Like how did this all come about? Well, um, there, there's a number of elements to this story. The first of, mm-hmm. it was definitely uh, Susan and Kathy's idea to do the book. And they first approached Ron Riggio asking him if he'd be interested in editing it, which makes a lot of sense. And Ron said, I'm too busy for this, but how about Mark and Rachel? And we said yes to it. Fortunately, at about the same time, Rachel and I were working on putting together the 2019 Global Followership Conference. We wanted outlets for some of the people who are going to attend to be able to publish because there's a huge need. Mm -hmm. As you, Dan, and Angela talk about in your chapter, there's a huge need for uh, additional literature on followership education. So we wanted to to go in two directions. Uh, Instead of creating conference proceedings as such, we wanted to have somewhere publishing some of the academic outcomes from the conference, as well as some of the 
uh, more educationally focused outcomes from the conference. Fortunately, uh, Emerald and Rachel took the lead on this. Emerald agreed to put together a special issue in uh, industrial and commercial training. I always get it yes. mixed up. Is it commercial industrial training or industrial and commercial training? Industrial and commercial training, industrial. yeah. Which, funnily enough, is is the, the number one journal for publishing followership literature, and they put a special issue out with uh, which Rachel, uh, and as long as uh, well as well as Stephanie and myself, but Rachel took the lead on this that project and put it, putting it there, and this book idea came at the same time from Susan yeah. and Kathy and said, "Hey, can you do something on followership?" So we put our heads together and said, "Hey, how about followership education?" And we know where we can find some great people. And it's great to have the, the two sort of projects working alongside, well, actually three when you think about the conference as well, and um, because they were all so different. And I think for this one in particular, it was great to have it so focused on, um, you know, strategies and tools to be used in, in education, because often that's the questions that we you'd hear get asked when we go to conferences uh, for followership sessions. Sometimes people will ask, you know, how do you go about um, teaching this? How do I go back to, to my university or, or wherever now and implement, or even to practitioners how do they take it back to um, their organizations and do this so I think it was exciting to see that this resource was going to be like purely focused on that and that's why I was so glad that Mark asked me to to, to become involved and you know definitely can say that we're, we're really pleased aren't we in terms of what's been pulled together here yeah. The, I am so thrilled with every single one of the articles in, in this issue, they're yeah. just an amazing collection. You know, to prepare for today, it's funny because I've written a book and for all of you who've written a book, you'll find other people will come up to you and say, hey, on page 322 of the book, you said blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I have no idea what I actually said. Really, did I say that? Well, that sounds clever. I should reread that. Mm -hmm. so, so, so to prepare for today, I went back and reread the book. I took like pages of notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my so, gosh. Well, I've been on and um, I'm currently on a year's maternity leave coming to the very end of it now. So this is really like my first thing that I'm doing. So no pressure for myself um, of getting back involved in something professional. But um, it was a, such a lovely, lovely activity to do to open it back up and think, right, I'm going to go back to like Mark said there. Um, you know, we didn't converse about doing that. I just obviously it felt like a natural thing to do just to, to go back through, remind ourselves um, and to really, you know, feel proud and passionate about coming on today and, and, and speaking to you guys. So, yeah, it's great. I definitely think that, that this is going to be um, an issue of New Directions that really stands the, the test of time and something that, that folks go back to because it is it is so fresh and so new to to the field of leadership educators that, again, you know, we we are just starting to coin this idea of people identifying and, and by people, I mean, individuals, professionals identifying as, you know, followership educators. Mm -hmm. And I love that followership identity uh, piece that, that you wrote, Rachel, in particular. Okay. And, and I just want to comment really briefly on on um, this theme that I that I have experienced in and the leadership discipline about um, Ron Riggio is very good about saying no and and politely and respectfully. I actually reached out to him first time I got an opportunity to do an editorial piece for a uh, uh, symposium for the Journal of Leadership Studies. And Rod said, uh, nope, I'm, I'm too busy, but how about you? And he's always good about Pr promoting others, you know, in the mm. field. So I got an opportunity to work with Michael Harvey, who was just out of this world, one of the just an amazing writer and, and collaborator and really, really helped with that. And so that that's interesting. And I see that he still contributed um, an article, which was fantastic. So I, I guess what I'm what I'm what I'd love to know is so what was it like working with Ron and working with with Ira as well as you as you put this together? And then two, thinking about one of the things I love about this process and, and Susan and Kathy are so great about this is they they have a vision for for the series, but they also 
are very, very respectful of, of the vision and, and empowering the vision of the, of the co-editors or the editors mm-hmm. or whatever the team mm-hmm. looks like. And, and so how did, once you, once you got that invitation and, and you and Rachel had a chance to, Mark, I guess both of you, when you had this opportunity to kind of chat and, 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 and really kind of envision what this would look like, how did that, how did that come together? It felt quite natural, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we had some people who early on we wanted to mm. invite in, and uh, fortunately, both Ron and Ira Chalif said yes straight away. You know, here's the problem with working with both Ron and Ira they give you their first draft, and you look at it and you read it and you think, oh, dear, dear, oh, what the, I'm never going to write anything that good. That's your first <laughs> draft? That's ridiculous. I wish I'd said that. So that was great fun. And I got to say, Susan and, and Kathy were fantastic to work with. They're so positive. Yes. Their, their comments were so helpful and on point. Really great to edit. But we, we let it evolve. We had a few core people who we knew we wanted to, to bring in, like Basil Reed, who I've known mm. for quite a few years and has done some great work with the FDIC. Definitely wanted him. Uh, Ted Thomas, I'd seen talk many times before, but then we discovered some really interesting new people who we'd never met through the conference, yes. like uh, uh, Nurhadi, who did this, Musin, who did this mm-hmm. wonderful uh, article on followership in Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, so that was fantastic. The, the, the three grad students who did the wonderful work on the storytelling yes. and followership, and in fact, the, the stories of Rosa Parks and sister Madeline Dorsey, really powerful stuff. There were some wonderful things we discovered in that. Yeah. I think we wanted to make sure we had like good, a good range and good breadth there. And, and I think one of the things that for me personally going to um, the conferences that we have in the past and the one that we were really keen to do for our own uh, 2019 one um, was to make sure we had a mix of academics and practitioners. And that's always been something that's really stood out to me compared to other you know, networks that I've been involved in. And so I think that that was, again, was a key thing for us, wasn't it? To make sure that we were including education um, and training activities and, and focuses that could be used broadly as well. Absolutely. And the presenters came from academia, but they were also from student affairs. We had some presenters. We had some independent consultants come. We really had a wide variety. Yeah. We, we had uh, keynoters, Sharna Fabiano, who is just, she's a tango. She teaches uh, a dance. And she came and gave us this lesson on tango from a leadership and followership perspective it was just so wonderful. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. You mentioned it because she'll be on our, our podcast a little later on this season. Oh we're excited God. to, yeah, we're excited to have that. And so I love that you shared like that there were people, it almost felt, feels like there are people chomping at the bit to like write about this. And those kind of first waves of content were, were kind of exactly what you had envisioned um, being out there in that space. And it, it just sounds like this is like an outlet for people who are like, I've been talking about this for yeah. years. I got good stuff for you. Like we just need a space. Yeah, so much. So we haven't really talked here, I think we're, all, we're, we're the converted, if you will. Uh, we haven't <laughs> talked about, there are probably people listening to this who go followership. I don't know, I'm a little bit on the fence. But when you start to think about it, so one of the activities that we've done in the past with students, we have a lot of co-op students at the university uh, where I'm at. And you know they go out on their first co-op semester, we, we sit down with them and say, how many of you are going to go out and get a senior leadership job in your first co-op? Uh, mm. Crickets, nothing. But so what, what is your most likely role going to be in your first job? Well, it's actually going to be as a follower to somebody else. Okay, how are you going to rock it? 
Like what mm -hmm. kind of behaviors are you going to do in your followership role that when you get your work term report from your employer, they're going to say, this person's great. I'm going to hire them when they're done their university career, right? That's not their leadership skills that are being evaluated. It's their followership skills that are being mm -hmm. evaluated and, and it behooves us to help them succeed in life. One of my favorite articles in Reread, Rachel, is that was yours. Uh, I love Dan and Dan's as well, because <laughs> there's so many practical tips. I actually yeah. wrote down, you can't see this on the radio, but I wrote this <laughs> on list. The tips that they put in there, yeah. a, a bunch of which I've never used, but I loved what, what was in yours because yours was about identity and mm. not, not to steal your thunder and followership identity. The, the challenge with the industry, the state of the industry and the state of education that we have now is we talk and help people develop their leadership identity. Yeah. What happens to them, however, when they are not being granted a leadership role either <laughs> formally or by their team? For some people, uh, as you mentioned, Rachel, that can be very yeah. stressful because mm -hmm. they have no backup identity. For others, they need to spend their time trying to become, to claim leadership because they yeah. feel like they are nothing now that they're not a leader. And in fact, I think what it does is it elevates the role of being in a leadership position to the extent to which it almost becomes, has the potential to be narcissistic because we're no longer honoring people when they're in their followership role and no yeah. longer honoring their contributions and the other things that they bring to the table. Yeah. And it's the ability for us to develop both roles that actually creates great teams, not just, and it's not unimportant. It's important to, to build people's leadership identities and teach them to be good leaders, but you're not going to make a bad leader good by teaching them to be a better leader. You're going to teach them by honoring the other roles that they take on. So they're not mm. so obsessed by, yeah. I have to be the leader. And if I'm not, I'm going to wrest it away from you so that I can be the person who influences everybody else. Yeah. I love that you share that too. So I teach a class called leading groups and team building and my students are floored when I start the class with, you know, the question you're, you need to figure out is whether if I'm a leader or a member, what are the strategies I use to help this group achieve the goal and work together um, in a, in a positive way in an enjoyable manner. And they're floored because they're expecting me to say, okay, leadership is this. And mm -hmm. as a good leader, why? And it's like, no, you can, you have power and influence, whether you're a member positional leader, you you know, whether it's situational leadership, like you have this power. And I feel like followership just just uh, gives them more power, as well as when you said your question, like, are you going to get the senior leadership job as soon as you graduate? I talk to them all the time about like the failure that comes after you reach your goals, because mm -hmm. you get there and you're like, well, what now? And if you're yeah. like following gives them a little bit of space and room to like figure out, continue to explore process while they're looking at somebody else as a leader and seeing yeah. what they like or don't like. And, and it gives them, so, gives them time to really grow comfortably in that position. You know yeah. what I mean? Definitely. I think you're bad enough when it was a case of doing a university for three years and then going on and then being expected to be the leader. But the fact that, you know, a lot of, uh, I think it's talked about in the chapter that a lot of students are now doing that, you know, these combined programs where they're working at the same time studying it's it's way too early on and, and their expectations are extremely immense you know to to be going straight into those leadership roles so early on and so I think that's you know Mark absolutely agree with you there that it's just too much pressure and potential stress which I think is more important now than ever um to, to really try and, and to work on so yeah I think it's it's got a lot of potential to alleviate some of these issues that have, have come about.
Yeah. And I love that you share that too, especially because like, I, I think about, you know, we, we, I, I see students in their like freshman, sophomore year, mm -hmm. mostly I do have some seniors, but we get them to their senior capstone class. They're doing all these things. They're responsible. They're involved in organizations. They're kind of like the cream of the crop. And then they get into that entry level drop and, and, and it's a drop and they don't have yeah. like the career services. They may not have, you know, the team of mentors that they had access to while they were in school. And it's like this fall off, but this, yeah feels like a nice way to kind of transition them into those professional experiences it feels more realistic right yes definitely yeah mm -hmm. that's definitely important between realistic and that idealized uh, view of becoming yeah. the leader and, and being that one individual so you've shared y'all have shared some really good um things that you've learned can, can you give us a couple of examples of maybe some more notes that you took like what should leadership educators know about <laughs> teaching or creating followership programs mark we will take a picture of your notes if you'd like <laughs> put it on our personal social media if you could verbally you know like kind of what what just get in the weeds a little bit meaning if i gotta run a leadership uh if i have to run a followership lesson tomorrow kind of what should i be thinking about or if i'm running a followership program like what are some things I need to be thinking about I think well I'll start with some some you know the basic points it's for me it's just about opening up a conversation and using things it doesn't have to be like a a lesson that you deliver it's more about opening up the conversation within the environments that you've got there when you're interacting with your students um it could be through a session that you are delivering it could be breakout activities that you do it could be um reflective activities that you're getting students to do or you're doing with them coaching could be a really useful way to do it um you know i was um, before i went on maternity i was doing coaching qualification i could just see how useful that would be as a, a way to you know encourage others to begin to think about followership as well and um, so i think that's one of the main things just to think it doesn't have to be a lesson that you deliver there's so many more ways that you can embed this within your your programs and your interactions with students uh, and my other main thing to sort of say be aware of is that you're gonna face um you know people who are skeptical at first and it's almost about uh, embracing that and not seeing it as a challenge but seeing it as it's going to be rewarding when maybe some of those um skepticisms get sort of um you know challenged and successfully a different viewpoint as a result of that. Hey, Rachel, yeah. have, have you ever, or Dan, have you had this experience where the, the person who is the most skeptical at the beginning has an aha somewhere in the middle and they become yeah. the biggest fan by the end? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and one of the things I was I was thinking at, and Rachel kind of alluded to this, was this idea that, and particularly in the English language, that like followership and follower in particular is this like dirty word. It's, yeah. it's a shame it's not four letters. You know, I mean, it's it has that type of, of connotation when it's introduced into any class, particularly about leadership and how it's glorified within within our, our, our systems and within our uh, society and what have you. And so, yes, it, it does. Sometimes you're moving somebody so far across the spectrum from one side to the other. And yeah. if you can do it with a really powerful educational intervention or an, or an emotive experience, you know, through through some type of experiential learning, like you, you've you hit the ball out of the park. Yeah, yeah. And not necessarily, it doesn't have to be someone who's particularly on one end, you know, skeptical. It mm -hmm. could just be that it's not a term that's come across at all, or even thought about because mm -hmm. they've never been given the opportunity to, to talk about it or to discuss it. So, um, you know, there's, there's going to be lots of different viewpoints to, to deal with and to and to uh, interact with and, and that's really exciting I think. 
Mike, what about you? Like, what are some of the interventions that, that you've seen to be successful? Maybe, maybe just like one example that really pushes that point home and, and, and makes believers out of skeptics. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, I, you mentioned the one that I've used before, which is who here is a leader, who here is a follower, some version of that. And of course, almost everyone puts up their hand. And then you ask the question, who here has had leadership education before? Everyone puts up their hand or most people do. Who here has had followership education? Nothing. And you don't have to say much more. Something though that I really love to do, which I know that you've done as well, Dan, is what I call introductions with a twist, which is you just get students to introduce each other and you, you fake them out at the beginning by saying, all right, so uh, I want you to tell me something really interesting about the other person. Go interview them for five minutes and they'll interview you and you'll come back here and you, you can introduce each other. And, and then you pull, a, you pull a switch on them and say, you know what, instead of telling me that, you don't tell them this until they're about to introduce the other person. Mm -hmm. Just tell me whether you think they're a better leader or follower. And what almost always happens is that about 90% of the class get identified as a better leader. So then you ask the people to move to one side of the classroom or the other, depending on whether they were chosen as a leader or follower. And you'll see, you know, 60 people on one side of the classroom and five people on the other side of the classroom. And then they start to, you know, you get some titters and laughs at that mm -hmm. point. And then you start to ask them, well, okay, if you had a team that was actually composed of this distribution, how well would the team function? And people go, oh, they wouldn't, wouldn't function well at all. And why did you, why did this happen? And people will give you, they'll confabulate all sorts of reasons for why they chose this particular person to be in the leadership role. You say, yeah, yeah, but look, come on. Relatively speaking, this is random, right? I mean, this is human, normal human population. You've all studied social, social sciences. You know that's the way it works. It should be split 50-50. So isn't there probably something else going on here, which is a bias that you have? Mm. And it's a way of kicking off. It's one way. I mean, there's a bunch of ways of kicking off conversations. I know that Rachel has uh, had them uh, draw pictures. Yes. Uh, and one activity that I saw that I really liked, people in teams go together and draw a caricature. A caricature of, I think that was... Uh, Basil Lee, yeah. Basil's, okay, yeah. right from the, the federal, the civil service, right. Draw a character uh, of a leader, and then what are the characteristics or the primary traits of this person that you're identifying here? How many of those do you think apply to somebody in a follower role as well? And then the lights go off and go, wait a second, do I really want people who aren't fully engaged uh, in a followership role? Do I really want people who aren't, you know, trying to make, you know, be as creative as they can and solve problems and do all these active, engaged, purposeful things because they're in a follower program? And if you think about it too, I know that the army, in the army group, there's an article about how they teach followership in the army. One of the things they say is, is a first sergeant the leader or follower? And when they're following, do you not want them to be active engaged? Like, do you have to have two personas? I'm going to be passive sheep when I'm in a follower role and somehow this active agentic controller of everything around me when I'm in a leadership role? No, you don't. You want them to be actively engaged in both roles. It was Andrew and Buddle. Andrew, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. So you know, it's so funny that it really does take sometimes facilitators to come at their participants with some type of bait and switch, you know, in order to get <laughs> folks to just 
become believers because we're, it's just the leadership industry is just so overglorified with this this sense of the individual and and not about the other. And you know, I'm 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 on the last chapter now of, uh, of people are probably you know listeners are like, is he ever going to finish uh, professionalizing <laughs> leadership? I'm in the last nope. chapter now nope. <laughs> this season. Uh, but you know, she's just getting to this, just how you know the leadership system and leaders follower context and just this you know that we cannot forget that it is all three of those things in order for this to for us to understand this this phenomenon and in order to to get this introduced into into our discipline it does take um, things like resources for you know the the two that, that y'all have just uh, mentioned and we're going to share these in the in the show notes as well it's just so great now that we do have this beginnings of this nice body of literature that educators practitioners can go back to and find activities find resources find techniques and strategies for intervening and and facilitating uh, learning related to to followership but well you know in in that light you know what what were some of the things that you learned from the process, I guess, both, you know, and I, and again, w- w- maybe we will take a picture uh, or link your, your, your notes there, Mark, from your second reading of, of, your, of your issue. Um, but, but what were some lessons learned or just things that, that you learned personally about yourself and your practice of a followership and, and being a followership educator? I think for me, it was great to see some similarities between what I tend to do and also what others are doing, because um, it's just nice to, to see that. and also so you can see the variances on activities activity so you could like mix them up a little bit um, and and the range of stuff as well so like I'm actually going to be able to to use what's in this this issue back you know when I'm back at work and and I'm really excited to, to put that into practice and and then go back to the authors and you know talk to them about how I found it and you know pose questions to them because that's always great to to do at, at conferences so it's a good opportunity to do it do the issue as well and um, so for me, yeah, being able to see the similarities as well as the variances on stuff that we can we can all do and, and I can use myself. It also contains some different mental models for, for putting this together, which I found really useful. Uh, for example, in Rachel's, she has this model of, of identity development, but which I think is just a general model of development, which is um, familiarizing mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. step one, then embedding, practicing and reflecting which is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you have to do that first stage Rachel was talking about, which is familiarizing more in followership than you do in leadership because people's um, followership identities are so weak and the term is so little used. Uh, yeah. So that's one of the differences, but the rest of it, embedding, practicing and reflecting, really important. And, and I love that. And then of course, Dan, uh, you and Angela have this model, which is language, collaboration, feedback, and common purpose. And I found that another alternate way to think about it, which is also really useful. But again, you start with the idea of language, which is the same, similar to Rachel's version of familiarizing mm-hmm. and similar to what I talk about, uh, Sam and I talk about in our article on, uh, on kind of the ninja techniques of getting people used to the F word. Mm. I love those responses um, about kind of what you're taking away because you're leading this challenge, you're leading this charge and you're still learning so much. Yes. And, and I think it speaks though to this underlying piece about leadership that's emerging. It's, it's, it's not like we've got it figured out. Like we take these assessments, we get to this position and like, bam, we got it figured out. But it's this cycle of just continuous development that everybody just needs to jump on board and, and get with. And, and just like, just continue to learn. Like you're not, you're not ever done. Even like you talked about going back in and doing your PhD work, you're, you're just never done with the learning part of it. And the sooner as a leader or follower, you adapt that philosophy, like the better off you'll be to the people that you're working with. Um, and what I love about that, Lauren, is that it's iterative. 
the more I learn about followership, the more it makes me also rethink what I'm teaching when it comes to leadership. Because of course, I teach the courses in leadership and I throw followership in there. I don't teach a followership course per se, right? I teach a leadership course and followership maybe is one week or two weeks out of the whole course, but I've managed to embed it in all the rest because every time we talk about a leadership topic, let me, let me give you an example of transformational leadership is probably the most thoroughly researched leadership theory out there. But if someone is behaving as a transformational leader, what are your responses? How can you support it? What should you do if you're in the follower role? I mean, James McGregor Burns talks about transformational followership. It seemed to have been excised from his book in, term, in all the subsequent work. What does it mean to be a transformational follower? And how do you react to make the process? Because leadership is a process between people. How do you make the process work? It takes more than one person. I think Sharna's going to probably talk about this since you're having her on later. But what she'll tell you about tango is that poor followership can undermine the can under, undermine the dance. We have uh, I don't know if you remember Julia Zarina from uh, the the conference Dan, but she is a she's a dancer, and she she goes into dance competitions where you get assigned a partner, and all of a sudden you basically have to now dance right, and it's ballroom dancing, and she tells the story of how before she knew about followership. Ultimately, people didn't want to partner with her because you often in the in the female role in ballroom dancing take on a quote unquote kind of follower role. Uh, but now that she's become uh, an expert in her own right on followership, she, it's actually also improved her dancing. And she's even won competitions these, because she now understands what it means to be a strong follower. Like that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I love that. Jan, can you pick your job off the floor? I can see it's like amazed by that response. That's just fantastic that, you know, and, and yeah, definitely looking forward to, to when we have Sharna on the on the show later this this season. And yeah, it's just, it's one, it really does take those, you know, motion experiences to say, okay, now I get it. Like, this is something that I can understand. It's that relevance and that that metaphor, that analogy that we need. And that's why that the, the language part of it, not only just the language of, of understanding, understanding and 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 coming to to terms with followership but just just the language of i guess of the experience and that reflective experience and that that cold cycle of, of like oh now i get it now i've put this into practice in something that i can understand and it's solidified in my you know in my psyche and now i'm going to go out in the world and i'm going to be better as a result I love that too. And I love that you dropped in metaphor because one of my favorite things with teaching my students and like talking to other folks is kind of putting it in a metaphor. So, and you, uh, Mark, you kind of set me up with your Burns comment, but it's like we're transitioning from this leadership hierarchy to more of like a leadership lava lamp. And it's making it so that we can all move about in this space and whoever needs to like reflect nice. and reflect light can do so as it's needed to illuminate the whole space. So I think that the followership piece hopefully that gets adopted somewhere where's my leadership lava lamp i love that that's so well put (laughs) ira chaliff talks about it in a slightly different way he says it's not that followers should revolve around leaders but that followers and leaders should revolve around the purpose yeah oh i love that we gotta we gotta figure out where what page what page of the book that is for uh, <laughs> that's right, Mark. Um, so, where can our audience find this information? We know, and we'll put it in the show notes. But can y'all share where they can find the series? So, this is a publication of Wiley Online. If you're a university educator, uh, whether co-curricular or not, your university library 
more than likely has access to it. That's the only source that I actually know about other than contacting us or the authors, because uh, I don't think you can buy the book. We've had a talk with Susan and Kathy about that, but they're not actually printing these things anymore. So uh, I think that's your, that's your, your best, your best bet. Thank you so much for sharing that. Dan, do you have anything else? Anything we should have asked? No, I, I, th I think that's it. It's just been so uh, amazing having you all on, on the show and being able to, to, to you know, connect with you all in, in this way and to, to share this with our audience. I think that uh, with any luck, we'll have some, uh, some of our listeners uh, introducing and integrating some, some followership education into their courses and, and yes. programs and trainings. And that's the goal is to, to get a wider audience for this. So, so Mark and Rachel, thank you so much for, for you. joining us today. Um, that wraps up this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Be well. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's Dr. Underscore Leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. And you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars. As the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.